तप्तजीवनम् कविभिरीतम् कल्मशापहम् स्रवनमंगलम् श्रीमदातम् भुवि ग्रन्थिये So, we will continue with that portion which starts after the discussion which we had in the last class. That Sri Ramakrishna while meeting the Brahmo devotees. So, he is speaking of the three qualities and how it finds expression in our life. And he will be interest, indicating a very interesting thing that generally we have the idea, the sattva, this, the three qualities, the three gunas, sattva, raja, tama, of which sattva is of superlative degree. That in all situations of life, we have the general notion that we are supposed to cultivate, manifest the sattvic temperament. The rajasic, the tamasic, they are the baser. But here Sri Ramakrishna will be introducing a very introduce a very interesting topic where he says that all the three gunas they do have utility as per our day-to-day -day life is concerned and it's not the gunas which are important but the context in which the gunas are expressed that is important in some other context sri ramakrishna used to say Jakhun jamun, takhun tamun, jekhane jamun, shekhane tamun, jake jamun, take tamun. That our temperament, our behavior should always vary. This cannot be a singular trait of behavior. As per the situation of life, as per the time, jakhun jamun, takhun tamun, as per the time is concerned. At particular time, the way I am behaving need not be the same at some different time. Just to give an example, when a child is growing up and the father is dealing with the small child, the way he is behaving with the child need not be the same behavior when the child has grown up. So as for the time, when he was younger, the way he was behaving. In our scriptures, it is mentioned that when the child is of age 16. He is to be considered as an adult. And then the father should treat him as a friend. Before that, that he should always try to teach him. If he is doing something wrong, reprimand him, warn him or her. So that behavior pattern is totally different. There you will find he is showing some anger when it is sometimes required. That's an expression of tamas. And the same 
boy when he has grown up or the girl has grown up he or she is of 16 nowadays we consider 18 as the adult age but in our scriptures it is mentioned that when he or she attains the age of 16 he or she has to be treated as an adult and then the father or the mother should behave as a friend so jakhon jemon takhon temon jekhane jemon shekhane temon the same father who is a surgeon or who is a lawyer when he is dealing with his clients the same father who he has to be very strict disciplinarian to certain extent authoritarian as per his work field is concerned it is required as per the work is concerned but the same person when he's back home he's dealing with his children the same father now as per the situation his behavior pattern has to change jake jemon take temon and depending on the person that when i am dealing with so called good person the devotees of course i can always demonstrate my sattvic temperament but if someone comes to harm me without any reason i have to make a show of anger that speaks of tamas as sri ramakrishna used to say that for a grihastha the one who is a householder he shouldn't inflict harm inflict poison to others but there is no harm in hissing when the snake is hissing that itself is sufficient to scare others so you may hiss but you need not inflict poison you need not bite so that expression of tamas as per the situation of life is concerned is required so it is not the gunas as such as per the circumstances we will find that any of the three gunas can be befitting and that's the thing which sri ramakrishna is going to indicate again you see the quality of tamas can be used for the welfare of others that is indicating there are three classes of physicians superior mediocre and inferior the physician who fills the patient's pulse and just says to him take the medicine regularly belongs to the inferior class just see here the doctor is very well behaved calm quiet as if he is of sattvic temperament but here sri ramakrishna is saying that he is inferior why because he thinks just to be well behaved with the patient his role ends if the patient is not willing to take medicine he has nothing to do with it he has told him politely what are the do's and don'ts now it's up to him sri ramakrishna is saying that he is an inferior class of the doctor he doesn't care to inquire whether or not the patient has actually taken the medicine the mediocre physician is he who in various ways persuades the patient to take the medicine and says to him sweetly my good man how will you be cured unless you use the medicine take this medicine i have made it for you myself so you know that in our day to day life where the rajasik temperament finds expression you are dealing in your business world there your language is very important you have to convince the people that speaks of rajasik temperament you are trying to influence if not through violence but at least through your 
way of talking, the communication. The same thing, that Rajasic temperament, why we use, especially in this world of tertiary economy, it's very easy to understand that what a great role communication plays. How if just by behaving well, how you can always have the advantage as per your finance is concerned, as per your position in life is concerned. Communication plays a great role. So that same communication which is used for the Rajasic aspect can be used by the doctor, not for the selfish gain, but somehow to persuade the patient to take medicine. So he's saying that he is trying to persuade just instead of simply giving them instruction and not caring about the patient, he's, persu he's persuant. So the mediocre physician is he who is in various ways persuades the patient to take the medicine and says to him sweetly, my good man, how will you be cured unless you use the medicine? Take this medicine. I have made it for you myself. But he who finding the patient stubbornly refusing to take the medicine forces it down his throat going so far as to put his knee on the patient's chest is the best physician. This is the manifestation of tamas, of the physician. It doesn't injure the patient. On the contrary, it does him good. You may say, is it practical? Is it something which can be practiced? Few days back, I was having a conversation with a psychiatrist and he told, Swamiji, would you believe that in psychiatry there are cases where the patient in no way can be persuaded. And sometimes, and he told a very interesting thing that, that we being the junior doctor used to respect one of our senior doctor. What he told is very interesting that sometimes we find that a, the, the, the psychic patients can be very difficult. You by persuasion, you can never make them yield to do what they're supposed to do. And he told we used to respect a senior doctor he will come and with full authority as if the way he is behaving with a child. No persuasion. You have to do this. You have to do that. Almost like forcing. And he had such a personality, the patients will immediately be calmed down. And they always used to listen to him. He used to say that this type of authority is to certain required. You, are, you don't mean harm. Actually, you are winning them good. But at the same time, but persuasion doesn't happen show them that a type of anger and it after all is doing good to the patient. You know this all in our life there are two things. One is the principle and another is the law. All the laws are made so that the principle is followed. That what is the principle, basic principle for all goodness, for all dharma, for all punya, in a very simply in our scriptures it has been mentioned. Paropakara punyaya, papaya parapirana. Anything which enters in the welfare of all is punya, is holy. Anything which enters in the tormentation of others, you torment others, you make others suffer, pira is make others suffer, to torment others. That is papa, that is sin. From that, you will find how nicely Sri Ramakrishna is saying that when to follow the principle, you have to 
change the law that I cannot be sattvic always that anger is okay let me show make a show of that anger everywhere in this world nowadays in our education system it has it has the, it, it is almost a law that children shouldn't be scolded it's only through some uh, good sweet words we have to ensure that they do what they do and there my role ends if any way i scold them admonish them physical punishment is forget then it is the teacher who is actually at fault in the present education system but it's really something very queer why even in the animal kingdom you go you will find very interesting thing the small cubs of the tiger doesn't want to go down the water the mother will go down and just encourage the children to come they won't come and then the mother will come up and get hold of them in their neck and forcefully take them down the giraffe is very tall when they give birth to the young ones they fall and it's very interesting immediately they are supposed to after immediately when the young one is has taken birth it has immediately has to get up and run why because that's the moment where the predators are waiting they know it's a very this young one is the most vulnerable creature easily it can be preyed upon so the mother giraffe knows very well so she the immediately after giving birth it finds that the young one has, has hasn't stood up and is not moving is not running she will give her a very very strong kick to may force it to run this sometimes this uh ad admonishing scolding is a very appropriate way of teaching a child what he or she is supposed to do i myself was in the education system for a long time and this idea that children shouldn't be scolded admonished punished is now very prevalent and if any way it happened that the teacher has scolded and the guardians will come and they will speak of the law i found it's very difficult because after all no one can be above law but one thing i want to suggest it i always used to suggest them that it's okay i understand the law as per law we cannot scold them but one thing i don't understand what is that the thing that these children through this small punishment doesn't get the feedback what he or she is not supposed to do and he grows up without that feedback and he starts he or she starts doing something which the society is not going to accept which may be considered as something criminal the child who would have been admonished for some small mistakes and would have got the feedback that this is not acceptable when he grows up starts doing something gross does the society say that he shouldn't be punished then the society is ready to punish him put him in jail all these things are there but it was most probably not required the same the punishment which is much more harsher 
when he has grown up because he has never he or she has never got that feedback is much more harsher as that feedback system was not there at all so i used to ask them that a question do you think that when your child is grown in has grown into adult and he does something for which he has the administration system comes and punishes him can you go to the punishment administration system and say that it is not correct so just try we if we try to understand even we will find in the western society now again they started thinking that the educ in the education system without any type of scolding admonishing sometimes it becomes almost impossible to make the children do what they are supposed to do because that small punishments are a feedback mechanism to make them aware that this thing is not accepted so let's see that tamas do has a role to play in our day to day life and that's what sri ramakrishna is saying that we cannot be in the name of good behavior we will find the society has become that individuals of extreme good behavior but that doesn't entail in good character people with very wrong motivations can be very good as per the behavior is concerned their intentions must probably not be correct so good behavior doesn't entail in good character so these are the things which we have to understand that just behaviorism is not important what we need is a transformation of the character where humans intentions are correct in the present society we find in spite of good behavior we don't have faith in each other we know in the in hindi there is a very nice uh, couplet there, there's way of expressing it they say muh mein ram bagal mein churi that in you are always behaving nicely always speaking of god but in your armpit you have hidden a knife it's always there for your own sake you can at any time harm others so it is not mere behaviorism just good behavior sometimes that so called harsh behavior is required for the overhauling of our personality for the real good of others and that's what very nicely sri ramakrishna is saying that don't think that sattva is the only guna which we have to cultivate if we really want to do good to others which has been defined as punya if to certain extent tamasic temperament is required it's quite good it is actually far superior in that situation than the sattva so that's what he's saying that it is not the guna but the context in which the guna is used that is more important just the way you cannot run a car in one gear the gear has to be changed if you are in a very very steep terrain in one so nowadays it it happens automatically but the gear do change without changing the gear you cannot drive a car so here also as per our dealing with the world is concerned these three gunas are like the gears which we have to use as per the situation as per the circumstances as per the time jokhon jemon tokhon temon jekhane jemon shekhane temon jake jemon take temon so this is the thing which sri ramakrishna after speaking about just a doctor that we find the doctor who is forcing is actually doing good to the patient now the same inst- 
instant this is tamasic aspect the tamasic trait how even it can help spiritually that he will be indicating in the next conversation what he is saying that as holy uh, this, uh, like the physicians there are three types of religious teachers the inferior teacher only gives instruction to the disciples but makes no inquiries about their progress the mediocre teacher for the good of the student makes repeated efforts to bring the instruction home to him begs him to assimilate it and shows him love in many ways many other ways so he has here also persuasion first it is just instruction then it is persuasion and then but there is a type of teacher who goes to the length of using force when he finds the student persistently unyielding i call him the best teacher most probably sri ramakrishna is speaking from his own experience if you have we all those you are all well conversant with the life of sri ramakrishna in the when he was a spiritual he was practicing various modes of spiritual sadhana if you remember the one who initiated him in the path of gyana in the path of advaita so when sri ramakrishna was asked to meditate by his guru totapuri as ramakrishna was highly devoted to the divine form of the mother for him when totapuri was instructing to withdraw his mind from the world of senses and to dive within so that he can go beyond all thoughts very easily he could he could go beyond all the distractions but as he was extremely devoted to mother kali so at last he found that's the one thought which was almost impossible for him to negate when he just tried to withdraw his mind from the world immediately the form of the divine mother was becoming vivid <clears throat> and totapuri was asking him again again to go beyond that so that he can go beyond the thoughts why beyond the thought in advaita they say this world is nothing but the projection of the mind the conscious principle in association with the mind is as if projecting the universe the way when the white light falls on the prism it breaks into the spectrum similarly the consciousness in association with the mind breaks into the spectrum of this world of name and form so if you don't go beyond the thought it is a thought which speaks of the sustenance of the mind that's why the thoughts are called vrittis why they are called vrittis in sanskrit vritti means profession it doesn't mean thought waves but we will find that the chitta vritti is the thought waves in sanskrit thought waves are translated as chitta vritti but the vritti literally means profession if you are a doctor your vritti is to that to treat patients an engineer's vritti is be an engineer so vritti means profession then why they use the word vritti for the thought waves 
It's very interesting. If you learn, if you know the etymological meaning of the of any language, you can know the philosophy behind it. Very interesting. Why? Now, a doctor's vritti through his profession, doctor of course cures the patient, but doctor sustains himself by treating the patient. He also is whatever uh, uh, he is earning, he is sustaining through that profession. So, doctor sustains himself through his vritti, an engineer sustains himself through his vritti, a businessman sustains himself through his vritti, a teacher, whatever profession. The people are sustaining themselves with their vritti. Similarly, the mind cannot remain. The mind cannot work at all. The mind becomes non-existent if the thought waves are not, that, or not there. So these thought waves are the vrittis of the mind. Just the way the vritti sustains me, the doctor is sustained by his vritti, an engineer is sustained by his vritti, a teacher is sustained by his vritti, Similarly, the mind is sustained by its thought waves. That's why the thought waves are called the vrittis, chitta vritti of the mind. So unless you can stop them, the mind is. And unless you go beyond the mind, the spectrum won't fall off to give you the realization that only that conscious principle, non-dual conscious principle alone is there. The world is a mere projection. To, I, to go to that realization is impossible. So when... Tutapuri found that his mind is holding to the thought of the Divine Mother. Now, he was teaching him in the way of the Advaita. So he used to go beyond the mind. So again, by repeated attempt, when he was trying again and again, it was, but Ramakrishna was failing. And at last, what Tutapuri did? He saw some broken piece of glass just lying on the ground. He took one pointed broken piece of glass and forcefully pierced between the eyebrows and asked him to meditate there. So just see, he has used the force at last. He's so much concerned with his disciple. And immediately Ramakrishna now, when he tried to meditate on that extreme pain, because that has been inflicted by his own guru, he got so annoyed that he was, he, he, I would say annoyed or impatient, whatever you may say, that he really wanted that his disciple should transcend the world of duality so that he can merge in that Advaitic experience, that non-dual experience. So he almost forced, used that uh, sharp uh, broken glass piece with, with, to pierce, to puncture the skin on between the eyebrows. And he was when I asked him to meditate there. And now when Ramakrishna meditated, again the form of the mother came as per his description. But now he could develop a pratipaksha bhavana, a contending thought. The thought can be when in your mind some thought is there, how can you stop that thought? By some, some anger there is raging in you. What's the way if you think of compassion? that I shouldn't be angry on this person. Let me try to cultivate compassion. That's the way you can get rid of anger. It is called pratipaksha bhavana, the contending thought. So now Sri Ramakrishna, when that intent pain was there, and with that again he was meditating, and the form of the mother came, and suddenly this contending thought came. What? That with the sword of knowledge, let me bifurcate this form of the mother. And with this visualization, the moment he just tried, 
to bifurcate the form of the mother with a sword of knowledge, the mind immediately rushed into that, not rushed, merged into that non-dual experience. So just see when Sri Ramakrishna is saying and that, that the best teacher is the one who is used force. He is speaking actually from his own experience. And that's the thing that took him to that ultimate realization. Of course, Tutapuri was very much surprised. Though he used that force, but he never thought that his this qualified disciple will go to the realization so quickly. Because when he saw Sri Ramakrishna is totally has become oblivious of the surrounding and is merged in the nirvikalpa samadhi, deep nirvikalpa samadhi. He immediately was so surprised that 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 to go to that state, it took him 40 years. How can it be just in such a, just in few days, an aspirant can go to that state? He was really surprised. But after all, the context here is, he had to use that force. And that force actually helped Sri Ramakrishna to go to that realization. So he's the best guru. When he finds that the student somehow is getting stuck up at certain state, he's using force so that he can go to that realization immediately. So that's why he's been termed as the best teacher. So would you really say this tamasic thing is bad? No, it's good. As per the situation, you know to use your temperament for the benefit of others. So that's why the Sri Ramakrishna's instruction that don't bite, but if required, hiss. So there's this showing, show this demonstration of anger to certain extent uh, using force if it is doing good to others so it is quite okay it is good so you should always cultivate that so that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna is indicating now a Brahmo devotee as Sri Ramakrishna is having conversation with the Brahmo devotees he asks sir has God forms or has he none so now a very specific question that the Brahma devotee asks. It takes to some different context, different teachings. Now the masters reply. <clears throat> we will find that how the profound philosophy of Vedas Vedanta, in simple words, Sri Ramakrishna is speaking out. What he is saying, no one can say with finality that God is only this and nothing else. That he is only formless, if you say, you are restricting the divine. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. He is formless and again he has forms. For the bhakta, he assumes forms. But he is formless for the jnani. That is for him who looks on the world as a mere dream. The bhakta feels that he is one entity and the world another. Therefore God reveals himself to him as a person. But the jnani, the Vedantist, for instance, always reasons, applying the process of not this, not this. Through this discrimination, he realizes by his inner perception that the ego and the universe are both illusory like a dream. Then the jnani realizes Brahman in his own consciousness. <clears throat> he cannot describe what Brahman is. So, Sri Ramakrishna very nicely is saying that divinity with form is also true 
divinity without form is also true as per your temperament whatever suits your temperament you can go to the realization as per your temperament now in general the question is that how can god be with form and again formless now as we are you always need some rational explanation in the present age we will find there is a very nice uh, rational explanation given by swami vivekananda when swami vivekananda was in the west he visited the niagara falls and when he was in the niagara falls he saw that something very interesting even now also it's there in the daytime when you visit the niagara falls in the <clears throat> bright day when there is sun is shining you can invariably see the rainbow it's always there the rainbow is always there now what does god with form and that the same god who is having form can be formless swami vivekananda saying that rainbow in which he heard is always there <coughs> he immediately uh, developed a wonderful simile an example to explain the absolute and the manifestation as god as well as the so called the world what he told is very interesting that the rainbow is the so called the concept of divinity god the sun is the absolute reality and the niagara fall is the samsara this world in this world you will find everything is flowing samsarate iti samsara everything is flowing when something permanent like the sun which is permanent for is reflected is reflected on the something which is flowing something permanent appears like the rainbow it appears how long that rainbow will be there as long as the niagara falls is there the rainbow is there if it so happens the niagara falls is not there it gets dried out will the rainbow be there it won't be there so god is as long as the world is Swami Vivekananda used to say very nicely that God is the highest manifestation of highest reading of the absolute. When with our mind, our mind is also flowing, like the world is also flowing. This mind is also a part of the world. With this mind, which is a flow, behind which the absolute is there. With this mind, when we try to read the absolute, at the most we can have the idea of God. in all dual religion the idea of divinity the god is there that world is there is someone who is the isha the lord of the world this idea comes from where this world everything is flowing behind the behind that something permanent is there that idea of permanence is after all a projection of the mind it is not the real permanent it is a this idea that god is is something which is conceived by the mind how it is conceived because in this world where everything is changing everything is a flow everything was born at certain point of time it exists again it is going to end up so it speaks of a flow somehow we have the idea that behind the flow something permanent is there from where that is coming that this flow in the form of our mind behind that the absolute is always there <coughs> that absolute absolute where is echoing 
through your body-mind complex, it gives the sense of eternity which you define it as God. To give you another example, suppose in front of a mountain you are standing and you sh shout your own name. The name is echoed back. You feel someone as if is calling you from the mountains. Is it so? No, it is just the echo. Similarly, the absolute, absolute, when it is echoed back from the flow in the form of this body, mind, senses, I feel something eternal is coming, is speaking out, echoing back from something which is flow. This idea of eternity is Ishwara. So very nicely Swamiji is giving that example. And that's why we are just resorting to it, because with a rational mind we try to understand what Sri Ramakrishna is saying, do make sense. That, that absolute something is there, which is beyond our mind, which is avang manasa gocharam, it is beyond our mind, which cannot be expressed through our speech. That, when finds expression through this word, is something which is Ishwara, the, word, the idea of God, whether with form or without form. All the dualistic religion, they believe in God which has qualities, attributes, but which has no form. But that also speaks of a personality. It speaks of a being with attributes, various attributes are there. That he is the Lord, he is ruling over, he is compassionate, whatever we may say. This speaks of attributes. But the Vedanta, in Advaita Vedanta, the absolute is beyond attributes. It speaks of just the easiness. There is something called existence. But I can never define that existence. The moment I try to understand that existence, my mind will be projecting various attributes and I can never know what it is. Anything is Brahman. That what Vedanta says, just say red flower. What is there something? There is something. What is there? I can never understand. Why? That redness is not outside there. They say light when falls on the flower, all the wavelengths are absorbed, a particular wavelength is reflected back, that strikes your eye. That wavelength has no color. There is no color outside. When it strikes your eyes, immediately that wavelength immediately gets converted into nervous current. Optic nerve carries some nervous current. Just very interesting. The world which we are saying, this light, color, that light doesn't reach our brain. The brain is totally dark. Think yourself, you are sitting in the brain, it is totally dark. And it is a brain which is interpreting the light. Very interesting. It is a nerve current which is going, going to so-called nerve, what is a uh, color perception center. It is not perceiving color. When that particular frequency of nerve current reaches your color perception center, the color is projected. It is just a form of decoding and that is projected and it goes and envelops the flower to make you feel that it is red. We are all hallucinating. As we are all hallucinating in the same way, we say it is red. So all the so-called the world, the real, the reality which we see is consensus reality. We all are hallucinating the same way. If someone doesn't hallucinate in the same way, I say he has some psychic disorder. But we all are actually having psychic disorder. It is a question of vote. As we all have same type of psychic disorder, so as per vote, I am normal. That's why nowadays in medical they never say he is abnormal. They say he is a bit different. 
This reason is there. Why this is a bit different? It's a fact that we all are hallucinating. He's hallucinating in a bit different way. The idea is we're all hallucinating. This all this redness, smell, everything is a projection of the mind. This is the thing which Vedanta understood long back. That there is easiness. It's not just when I, uh, they say that alika, there's a difference. That when I close my eyes and think of a flower in the sky. Is it possible? It's not possible. It is imaginary. So when I say the world is unreal, it is not imaginary. Something is there. But when I try to perceive with my mind, immediately it becomes something else. All the attributes are there. And as long as the attributes are there, I can never see that real easiness. And that real easiness is beyond that form. Vedanta is speaking of that is possible. But when that easiness you're trying to express through the mind, when the mind is echoing that eternity, it takes these various forms as per our faith, as per our belief, as per the belief system in which we have grown up. All those helps us to conjure a form or some attributes to define that ultimate isness. And that's the idea of God. So now you will, if you try to really analyze this words of Sri Ramakrishna, he has spoken in such a simple way, but he's actually not, his, not a single word of his is, is contradictory to the scriptures. How nicely, in a very simple way. That's the wonder of Sri Ramakrishna. He has that wonderful art of speaking of the profound truth in the most simple language. It was possible because he was a man of realization. He had, he, he is not just mere conceptual knowledge which, like, which most of us have learned as an academic in universities. It's not like that. It is something which he has realized. And the realization gives that real knowledge where the knowledge you will find is just an outpour of his deep inner feeling which he has realized. So how nicely now, just after this discussion, now we will find that that this idea do make sense. But let us again read out that Ramakrishna's uh, conversation. No one can say with finality that God is only this and nothing else. He is formless and again he has forms. It's an absolute finding expression as this world of relativity. For the bhakta, he assumes forms, but he is formless for the jnani. That is for him who looks on the world as a mere dream. The bhakta feels that he is one entity and the world another. Therefore God reveals himself to him as a person. But the jnani, the Vedantis, for instance, always reasons applying the process of not this, not this. Through this discrimination, he realizes by his inner perception that the ego and the universe are both illusory like a dream. Then the Gani realizes Brahman in his own consciousness. He cannot describe what Brahman is. So that negation at last negates the mind, negates the ego. We say that the ego is like the hub of a will. As long as the ego is there, our desires are there. The desires are like the spikes. All our desires, whether they are manifested or unmanifested. There are many desires which are yet to be manifested, which are hiding in my mind, in my subconscious mind. If I get favorable circumstances, they will manifest. But at present, there are some desires which have manifested, which are vyakta. These all desires are all linked with this sense of ego. 
this ahankara, this limited sense of individuality. Whatever I like, I dislike, everything is related with this ego. So this ego is like the hub, all our desires like the spikes. In our spiritual life, if we try to get rid of one of the desires, it is just like uprooting one of the spikes. If you break one of the spikes, the wheel is still intact. Why the wheel is still intact? Because other spikes are there, which keeps the wheel intact. But if I can get rid of the hub, the entire wheel will collapse. So, this through this, not this, not this, when you try to negate the ego, the hub is as if removed. All the spikes falls off together. Sri Ramakrishna is actually giving that idea here. In some other context, he gave a very funny anecdote to explain this idea that once the ego is gone, that's the real renunciation. All desire falls off once at a time, taking you to that absolute realization. He used to use a very funny example. He told a very interesting thing that renunciation doesn't happen one by one, little by little. That today I renounce this, tomorrow I renounce that, and that way one day I will be renouncing everything. That way renunciation never happens. Renunciation happens once for all, at a time, in a flash. When Girish Ghosh came to Ramakrishna and he told that I have done so many sins, how can I be liberated? And Ramakrishna immediately told a very interesting thing. Suppose a room is a dark for millions of years. Now you strike a match. You enter there and strike a match. Will that room take another million years to get lighted? Immediately it gets lighted. That the room was dark for millions of years. That doesn't mean that when I strike the match, it will take it will just take another million years to gradually get lighted. Immediately it gets lighted. So he says the moment our ego falls off with the jnana, when you with the light of knowledge, the ego is fallen off. You negate that, the ego has gone. The realization happens in a flash. All the desire falls off once at a time. And he used to give a very funny example in some other context, in the gospel, in some other context. This story is there. That one day a man, a, a village, a villager, he was going to have a dip in the village pond just to go and have a, just bathe. He used to bathe in the village pond. He was just, as he was going for a bath, to have a dip in the village pond. Naturally, he was not wearing any dress, just a loincloth and one towel on his shoulder, nothing else. And now as he was about to move out, his wife told, you are so attached to your so-called, this all worldly ways of living. Just see our neighbor, the next door neighbor, he has developed a sense of renunciation. Now this man was really uh, very uh, got very curious that my neighbor has got uh, developed renunciation what you saw in him that he has you are saying that you have developed renunciation then he told he has 12 wives and he is renouncing them one by one so that's a very funny way of his saying that he has 12 wives and this man he told Are, can anyone really renounce that way he can never renounce and this wife then just then taunted, at least he's better than you. And this man now told, do you want to see what renunciation? Now I am living, never to come back again. So he was just wearing the loincloth and he had a towel in his shoulder. And he went once for all, no one knew where he went. 
So that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna is saying. So many find this story as very funny, but what he's indicating that renunciation never happens little by little, once for all. The moment your ego is gone, the hub of the will is gone, all the spikes fall off once at a time. It just happened once at a time. It cannot be one by one. So here that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna is saying, that through not this, not this, when once the ego is negated, it takes him to that absolute realization. The one who is a devotee, he gets rid of everything apart from the med- this contemplation of the divine, the form in which he is, divine, he is meditating, or the idea of the uh, divinity on which he is meditating, that's the thing which becomes prominent in his mind. With this idea, he has negated everything, but that's the thing which is absolute for him. Is that then only imagination? No. That's also is real. The Sri Ramakrishna will give some examples that that is not mere imagination. That with, yes, today I am imagining, but know it for certain, today's imagination is going to become tomorrow's realization. Now when I meditate on God with a particular form, anyone can say it is just your mere imagination. Then is God's imagination? No. When we are meditating, what is happening? We try to get rid of all the thoughts with the thought of the divine, the form on which I am meditating, which I like most. I repeat the name, I meditate. In the process what happens? The bahuvritti, the various distractions of the mind, they start falling off and the mind takes ekavritti, one thought. It's very interesting, if I can really have that one thought. In our, in, in our day-to-day life we find how meditation is difficult. Very easily the mind goes to other thought. If I can really succeed, if I have intense faith in the divinity and have developed an intense focus on the form of the divinity, a wonderful thing happens. If you can keep your mind in one thought, the mind cannot work, it falls off. You know why? In this world, everything is flowing. Mind is also flowing, everything is flowing. That's why it's called samsara, as we were saying. Why there is a flow? Because there is a polarity. Water flows. Why water flows? Because there is a difference in level. From high level to the lower level, the water flows. If both the levels are same, water flow will stop. Why electricity flows? Because there is difference of potentiality. Higher potential to lower potential. If the, both the ends have same potential, in the Whitstone Bridge experiment as a schoolboy we all did, current will stop. There is no electricity. The moment the polarity, the same North Pole, if you keep just, uh, then both will be negating each other. So it's that uh, the iron filings can form only when there is the North and South, then only they can form that pattern. So everywhere we find, as long as the polarity is there, there is a flow. The mind is a flow. It is constantly jumping from thought to thought. If through intense meditation we can keep the mind in one thought. Now my mind is thinking A, B, C, D. If I can keep, really keep it A, then as the polarity gets resolved, the mind will go to the state of nirodha, the thoughtless state. So this is the thing which happens even with the devotee. But the devotee has a temperament to meditate on God. So he never likes that state. He will try to come back again in the state of thought. As Chaitanya Mahaprabhu used to say, Ami chini hote chaina, chini khete bhalovashi. I don't want to be sugar. I want to taste the sugar. So they don't like that. They come to this, again, this state. But you will understand that 
holding on to the form, you go to the state of formlessness. Sri Ramakrishna used to say a very interesting thing. All these divine forms are a hole in the wall of ego. Suppose there is a wall. Now I start chiseling that wall in the form of Krishna. As long as the chiseling is going on, the hole has not been formed. It is mere imagination. In your mind, you are chiseling. Someone is chiseling the form of Krishna. Someone is chiseling the form of Rama. Someone of Jesus. Whatever it may be. Someone of that formless God with attributes. That is also a type of chiseling. But the moment the chiseling is complete, when the mind has become, went to that thoughtless state, so it is like you have created a hole. Sri Ramakrishna used to say a very interesting thing that all the forms of divinity are a hole in the wall of ego through which you can peep into the eternity. Suppose there is a wall and I don't know what is beyond the wall. I make a hole and I peep through the hole. I see infinite expanse. And now if the hole is of form of a circle, I will have an idea. It is only through this circle I can peep into the eternity. Someone has made the form of a rectangle. You will say only through this rectangle I can peep into the eternity. So as we all meditate on a particular form of the God and it ultimately takes to the realization as that form, as that concept takes us to the realization, we say this is the concept which alone is God. Sri Ramakrishna in the entire history of spirituality is the only personality who has made innumerable hole in the wall of ego. And that's why he could say that all this, it is not only Rama who is God, Krishna is also God. Once that hole is made and you peep through it, the same infinity you are seeing. So all these holes you are making. So now you will understand that the form and the formless, as per our temperament, the same thing appears as the formless and again it appears as form as per our temperament is concerned. But both are speaking of the same reality. With the help of various examples, we are trying to understand that what Sri Ramakrishna is saying in a so simple way, it's not that simple. It actually having a very profound philosophy behind it. Sri Ramakrishna's words are so simple that sometimes we really miss the real, uh, this what you say, the idea which is speaking behind it. It is very profound extremely profound truth in a very plain language he is speaking and that is the thing which uh, discussion first he speaks of God that both it can be form and it can be formless and then he will speak of the sadhana as per our temperament taking to the realization either of the form or the formless aspect of the divinity that we will uh, continue again in the next class so with this we stop our discussion today thank you all namaskars